chapter. And today, today kicks off uh, three nights of a meeting. We call it the Awaken Conference. It's simply a revival meeting. Some of you may remember back in the day, uh, revival meetings where we meet together for a couple of extra times a week uh, during this week to hear from God's word. We got some guest speakers coming in, even some of them coming in today. And uh, tonight at 6.30, tomorrow night at 6.30, Tuesday night at 6.30, we're gonna have a, a really a service that's very similar to this. Uh, and then of course, some guest speakers. It's gonna be amazing. I will tell you this, two things about services like this. Number one, I don't do, we don't do this all the time. So uh, we don't have a, just a bunch of extra services. So when we do this, it's really, really important. Obviously, once a year we gather like this for these couple of nights, and I'm really uh, hopeful and prayerful that you will make it uh, your, your priority to be here. And secondly, uh, my assurance to you is anytime I invite anybody to preach here, uh, these are always people that make God's word a priority, and they have, they have a testimony and a legacy of just faithful service to the Lord. Each one of these men, uh, Steve Cox, Jake Potter, and Rusty Smith, pastor phenomenal churches and have been faithful to the Lord for years and years and years. And so they're going to come here and they're going to really bless us over the next few nights, okay? Added bonus, uh, on Monday and Tuesday, we have a free dinner for anybody that wants to come. That's at 5.30, so get off work if you, and, and maybe you can't get home and get it ready like you'd like to or cook dinner. That's okay. Come here to the gym. At 5.30, we have dinner for free for anybody that comes and hope you'll make it. And then tonight, uh, because it's going to be so nice and warm tonight, uh, we have a Kona ice truck that's going to be here after the service tonight. And uh, it's just going to be spectacular. Uh, I will say this, though. The big catch here is it's a fundraiser for our teenagers. And so even if you don't, even if you don't like Kona ice, that's fine. Come and buy one, throw it away, or just give money to them, and that's fine too. Um, uh, a portion of all the proceeds tonight go directly to our youth group, specifically uh, to help them get to winter retreat in January down in Orlando. So we're excited uh, about that and excited for you to be here tonight. So that's tonight at 6.30. After the service, we'll have Kona Ice back by the gym. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing God's word with you this morning. I know there's many guests here today, and, and it's really good to see you. If you. I hope you've had an opportunity to stop by uh, our Next Steps Center, which is right there in the back of the auditorium on the left. And it's uh, a place where you can just connect. It's a place where we have a gift for you. If you have any questions, if you've got any needs, any prayer requests, uh, anything at all that we can help you with, just stop by there before or after any service and we'll be glad to help you with it. You know what I found out in the Christian life? Everybody's got a next step. Everybody. Everybody has a step. It might be salvation. It might be baptism. It might be joining a church. It might be joining a Bible study group. It might be signing up for an event. You all have a next step. And so that is a place where you can go and take care of that, okay? Let's take our Bibles and go back to Matthew's gospel. We're going to be in chapter 25 today. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, as I told you before, we are in a series right now called Be Ready. It's a study within the study of the life of Christ, which we've been in for three years. Uh, we have been studying the, the chronological path of the life of Jesus. We are now in the last week of the life of Jesus, and, and we're really close to the very end of his earthly life. Uh, Jesus, after he uh, finished his public ministry with the, the, the Israelites, he goes outside of the city of Jerusalem up into the Mount of Olives, just outside of the city of Jerusalem, and his disciples ask him a question about the end of time. And Jesus gives the, the most lengthy answer to any question he ever gave in, in what we know of now is the Olivet Discourse. A basic, the basic message of the Olivet Discourse is this, Jesus is coming again, so you should be ready. And, and, and we, we learned that two weeks ago. We learned that in chapter 24 when they said, what will be the sign of his coming? 
And what was the sign of his coming? The tribulation. That's what happens before the second coming. And then Jesus goes into a series of parables. Last week we learned about the parable of the ten virgins. And today we will learn about the parable of the talents. And so let's read our text today, if you will. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse number 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he, ha- he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he also had received two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Amen. This is God's word. The title of my sermon this morning is Well Done. Well Done. What if I were to ask you this morning, how do you define success? Many notable and prominent people have sought to answer that question in time. Richard Branson, the billionaire, said, too many people, measure, we measure success by how much money they make or the people they associate with. He says, I quote, in my opinion, true success should be measured by how happy you are. Stephen Covey says, if you carefully consider what you want to be said of you in your funeral experience, there you will find the definition of success. Warren Buffett, the billionaire, said, I measure success by how many people love me. Winston Churchill, success is going from failure to failure with the same enthusiasm. Now, I could, I could dissect and analyze every one of those statements, all of which are wrong. And yet, I would find that even within the church, oftentimes people misunderstand what true success is. For instance, some people may actually, even a Christian may define success financially. Uh, In other words, when I achieve a certain net worth, then I am successful. Or you may define it relationally. When I find my soulmate or having found my soulmate, I I have found success. Some people define it educationally. When I get that 4.0 grade point average or graduate with that master's degree or go on for a prestigious uh, academic career, that is success. Some people may think it is a professional definition. When I land a dream job that I've always wanted, that is success. Some people define it athletically. If I win a championship or I become an MVP of a league or win a world series or whatever sport it might be, that's success. Some people think of it in terms of the military. When you achieve a certain rank or win a service medal, that is success. I am not saying that all those things do not make for successful people. But at the end of the day, for a Christian, there really is only one way that you can define success. It doesn't matter what your grades are. It doesn't matter where you go to college. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in an account or what rank you have in the military. Or, or, or what relationship you have found, 
What really matters is one and only thing, and that is this. When this is all over, will I hear, well done, good and faithful servant? That is the definition of Christian success. When I have lived my life in such a way as to please and honor the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. When I have focused my efforts, all my relationships, all my financial resources, everything that I have has been given completely over to Jesus, his glory, his mission, his church, so that everything I do is motivated by one day I'm going to stand before him, one day I'm going to give an account to him, and one day more than anything, I want, no matter what everybody else thought about me, I want everyone, I want only the one person that really matters to know this about me that I have served him, that I've done my part, that I've given him glory, that I've served him with everything that I have so that one day, no matter what anybody else thought, I can hear from the only one that matters, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In this text of scripture, we see a contrast between the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. In the parable of the ten virgins, the emphasis is on watching and waiting for the Lord to come. In the parable of the talents, the emphasis is on working for the Lord while you wait for his return. You see, in this text, these, these, the, the Lord who gives and distributes the resources is a picture of Christ. The journey that he goes on is a picture of the time between his ascension and the time of his second coming. The servants that have the talents distributed to them are obviously a picture of you and me. And the whole point of the parable is very simple. God has blessed us, God has entrusted to us opportunity, and what we do with that determines on what it's going to be like one day when we give an account of our lives before him. By the way, this meshes very well with what Scripture teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15, where the Bible says, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man build upon that foundation... Uh, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Every man's work will be made manifest and the day will declare it. The bottom line is this, folks. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. And, and thank God, as a Christian, listen very carefully. As a Christian, there will be no accounting before God of your sin because Jesus accounted for that on the cross. In other words, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That condemnation was absorbed in the person of Christ. How many are you glad for that today? How many of you are glad to know that you will not face one ounce of judgment or condemnation for your sin because Jesus took it all away in the cross? No matter what you did, no matter what you have done, and come on, no matter what you are going to do, it is all covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about it, that does not mean by any means that we are not going to give an account before God because we are. It's not going to be for our crimes or our sins because of Jesus. What it will be is what we have done with our lives in service to him after we have been saved. And that's what this parable is all about. And I want to share with you very simply today three statements from this parable that ought to cause us pause and think and reflect on that day that we will all meet God. One, number one, I want you to see this text teaches us that life is an opportunity. Life is an opportunity. Uh, uh, what, what God giving us time and life is his gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to him. 
Life is an opportunity. You look back at verse 14 and it tells us there are two specific things about this opportunity we can all rejoice in. Number one, it tells us here that we were called by the Lord. And number two, we were gifted by the Lord. Every person in this room who is a Christian can say those two things. You have been called by God. God issued his call to you when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, you ought to rejoice in that because the fact is, uh, I would have never come looking for God, but I'm glad that God came looking for me. He called me. The Bible says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a call. He called the Noah and said, come into the ark and be saved from the flood. In Revelation, he says, he says uh, 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 come, let the Spirit and the bride say, come. There is a call today. It is a call of salvation. Listen, friend, I'm here to tell you today, if you are here and you are not a Christian, listen to the voice of Jesus call you today. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God commended or demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we can be saved. Listen to this voice from God today. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a call. But then everybody that has been called, everybody who has been saved, has also been equipped. What we have been equipped with is what this text calls talents. Now I know that specifically here we are tempted to think that this is just about money, but it's not. I do believe, literally, the parable is teaching a parabolic story about money. He even says it at the end, he took his Lord's money and hid it. And so a talent uh, it has to do with measurement more than it has to do with money. It could have been a talent of gold, it could have been a talent of silver, it could have been a talent of bronze, it could have been a talent of anything for that matter. And the bottom line is, we find here that the Lord gave talents to every single person who was a servant. Now understand this, the talents do not have significance in themselves, but as a parable, they illustrate a wide range of responsibilities from very high and demanding to very low and with relative ease that every single person has been entrusted with. But mark this down. Notice what it says here in verse number, uh, uh, number 15. It says, and to one he gave five talents, and to the other two, and to another one, watch this phrase, to each according to his own ability... And immediately he went on his journey. Now here's the good news. Here's the good news. You might have different talents than somebody else. Different abilities and responsibilities. But God gave you the ones he gave you because he knew you. He knew what he could trust you with. And you're not responsible for my talents. And I'm not responsible for yours. But you are responsible for yours. Every person has been given, has been entrusted with responsibilities, gifts, uh, uh, talents, natural abilities. We'll, we'll talk about some of those in just a minute. And the bottom line is, not only are we saved, we all have been gifted. I tell every single person that comes through a new membership class at our church, do not join this church unless you are ready to give of your resources to God's work or you are not ready to serve God with the gifts that he has given you. If you're not ready to do that, you're not ready to be a part of a church. And folks, but yet everybody should be there because the minute you got saved, God distributed to you spiritual gifts to be served, uh, used in service in his kingdom for his glory 
through his church. Everybody in the room has something that you can serve God with, and it's an opportunity. You have an opportunity. You have the opportunity of a lifetime to take what you have been given and to either serve God or squander. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm from West Virginia, and having grown up in West Virginia, there are a few things that West Virginians really take pride in. And, and one, of course, is, is sports. And we love West Virginia, the Mountaineers, and, uh, and, 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 and rebellious people like Marshall. But we, we, we really love West Virginia. I mean, the state has no professional sports. It's only college sports. So we, every, pretty much everybody in the state goes for, goes for college sports. And when something, when something significant happens, in fact, in the last probably 30 years, there's only been one real significant athletic story that came up through West Virginia that, that, that rose to national and international prominence. That's the story of Randy Moss. Now, Randy Moss, as you know, is a, is a, is a, is a Hall of Fame wide receiver, uh, played for the Vikings, played for the uh, Patriots, and maybe a couple other teams. I mean, he, he was an unbelievable athlete. He graduated high school, I believe in 1996, same year I graduated high school. He went to high school at DuPont High School, which was just up the river from our high school. In fact, our high school, South Charleston High School, played DuPont High School in every sport, and I grew up watching Randy Moss play football, play basketball and play baseball. Most people don't realize he was just as good at baseball and, and basketball as he was football. Just a phenomenal athlete. And, and, and many people don't realize that he also went to, to high school with Jason Williams, who, who became a superstar point guard in the National Basketball Association. And there were several other very high quality athletes that came out of DuPont High School, all of which grew up in a little town on the river in the Kanawha Valley of West Virginia called Rand. Now, if you're a big ESPN fan, you may have seen the 30 for 30 Rand University. And it talks about Randy Moss's upbringing. It talks about how he grew up in a town of less than 2,000, became a superstar athlete, and in a roundabout way, had, to, had some trouble that he went through and ultimately went to Marshall University and ultimately got drafted. And, of course, the rest is history. But at the, end of that, at the end of that film, and I highly recommend watching it because it's actually really stirring. Of course, if you're from West Virginia, it's very, very intriguing. But at the very end of that show, they start interviewing people from the hometown that are still there in Rand, West Virginia. Now, I think I grew up in a small town. Rand is smaller than small. They went out on an old basketball court with a chain net on the basketball hoop and interviewed a, a guy in his 40s named Sam Singletary. And I remember this. I remember Sam being a superstar athlete just like Jason Williams and just like Randy Moss. He was drafted in, right out of high school to play Major League Baseball. Super, super, super athlete. And yet, when he got drafted, he had a problem with drinking, had a problem with smoking marijuana. He says, later you'll find most of us in a 7-Eleven parking lot every weekend wondering what might have happened. Whether it's drugs or poverty or some other uh, temptation, sometimes our poor choices result in mistakes that last a lifetime. And one of the last things you see in that 30-30 film is Sam Singletary on the basketball court crying his eyes out, thinking of the choices that he made that kept him back from everything that he dreamed of. But quite honestly, I'm not saying that he was as good of an athlete as Randy Moss, but I am saying to you, both men had equal opportunity. 
Both men were drafted. Both men had opportunity to play sports. One man took advantage of it, and one man squandered it. And so is the story of so many people in churches. The opportunity is there. The gifting is there. The moment is there. But what will you do with what you have? I think of people in this room, for instance, that have more knowledge than other people. Do you young people not think that growing up in church like you're growing up, having learned more by the time you're in 10th or 11th grade just from the the knees of your parents, that you're not more responsible for the things that you know compared to somebody who just came to faith in Christ at age 30 and didn't grow up with the Bible in their hand? I wonder how many of us have sat in church for years and years and years and years, having heard the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Do you not think that that is a talent that God has entrusted to you? Spiritual gifts. How about financial resources? There are people that are haves and there are people that are haves not. There are people that have more to give and there are people that have less to give. What am I doing with what God has given me? What about opportunities? What about time? What about unique circumstances where I work, where I live, where I'm at in life? What about natural talents and abilities? How about capabilities? Listen, folks, I'm telling you, there's more potential setting in this room today than are in most gatherings around the world today. I'm telling you, God has given us people that know God, that know the word, that have natural abilities, have financial resources, that have that have unique opportunities that God has blessed you with. Here's the question. What are you doing with the opportunity that God has given you? You should take full advantage of what God has entrusted to you. You should be eager to serve God with what you have. And I want to make this comment. Listen, this has nothing to do with visible productivity. Do you know the guy had five talents, he made five more. The guy that had two talents got two more. And do you realize that God did not judge them on the sum total of what they had at the end. He judged them based upon the percentage with which they served. That's very important. You might look at one person and say, man, there's no way. I don't don't have what they have. I can't do what they do. I don't have the resources they have. I don't have the money they have. I don't have the time that they have. I don't have the opportunity they have. You know what, you're right, but you do have what you have. And to what I said at the beginning, you're not going to be responsible for what your pastor is responsible for. You're going to be responsible for what you're responsible for. And every one of us need to view our life as an opportunity. We have been entrusted with salvation. We have been entrusted with spiritual gifting. Number two, I want you to see this sobering fact. In fact, the one word I would say to you that I think stuck out to my mind over and over and over and over again as I studied this week was this one word. You ready? Done. Done. When the five talent men present their offerings to the Lord, when the two talent men present their offerings to the Lord, this is exactly what he says. Well done. Boy, there's some finality to that word, isn't there? Done. And in this sense, there are, there's two ways to look at this. It's, it's done. Certainly at the second coming, that's what the whole story is about. The whole story is about the, the, the Lord being gone for a long time, and then suddenly he comes, and when he comes, the opportunity's over. Now, I said this in another context a couple weeks ago, but that, folks, you got to understand this. There are deadlines with God. There are deadlines. We, the opportunity that we talked about in point number one uh, has shelf life. At the end of the day, life is an opportunity, but number two, life will end. It is done. And folks, I mean, it's all going to come down someday to an opportunity that God graced us with every day. I mean, you woke up today. 
You woke up and breathed God air that, God's air that you borrowed from him today. You got up on your own two feet and had mental capacities to, to, to put sentences together today. You walked out of your house today. You can sit in church and understand somebody talking and teaching today. It's an opportunity. But listen, friend, that opportunity is not going to last forever. The sad reality is it will all come to an end. It will come to an end when Christ comes. It will come to an end because there is a conclusion of labor. I'm thinking of the song that says, work for the night is coming when man's work is through. I mean, folks, at some point, sunset is going to set on your life. And sunset is going to happen and a new day is going to dawn. And this one, the opportunity right now, is going to be over. There is, a, there is a finish line to our work. That's what Paul said, right? I have fought a good fight. I have what? Finished my course. I have kept the faith. There's a finality to it. There's a day when no more songs will be sung. There's a day when no more work will be done. There's a day when no more sermons will be preached. There's a day when no more witness will be given. Come on. There's a day when another kid's class is not going to be taught. There's a day when another service is not going to be attended. There is coming a day, friend, when that's it. It will end. It will end. Which leads me to the final thing, and I want to quickly get here because it's really what this text is about. Life is an opportunity. Life will end. But finally, life will be assessed. Look at verse 19, if you will. Look at this. The Bible says here, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came, there's a phrase here, and settled accounts with them. The heavenly auditor steps on the scene and reckons accounts. In other words, what was done will be reviewed. It's kind of like taking a test. I teach. I've, I've been teaching now for 15 years on a college and seminary level. And, and you know, I, I'm not one of those guys. I don't take attendance. You think I'm going to take attendance on a bunch of 19-year-olds? Kid, buckle up. If you're not coming to class on your own, class that, by the way, you're paying for, you think I'm going to take attendance on you? You think I'm going to hand out notes? They ask me on the first day of class every semester, you got any notes? Yeah, yeah, I got notes, whatever notes you decide to take when I'm talking. That's what notes you got. I'm not giving you notes. What are you talking about, notes? You're 20 years old. You are 20 years old, and I'm sorry. Your mama still might be pouring cinnamon toast crunch in your bowl for you and tearing the crust off your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I ain't your mama. Amen. You want to know what's on the test? Whatever I said. Whatever I said. That's what's on the test. They ask me all the time. Hey, pastor, the... Um, because I got finals coming up. I love it. Finals are coming up. I'm going to get the emails. Hey, what, what, what's going to be on the final? Here. Whatever I said. Whatever I said. And that's the thing about tests. Tests sort things out, don't they? Because I found there's ways to skirt around other things. There's a way to check boxes. Yes, I read this. Yes, I did this. Yes, I turned in this. There's ways to plagiarize. There's ways to get around plagiarism. There's ways to skirt the system. But then there's that test. And I do essay tests. You think I'm going to do a true and false test to 21-year-olds? You got a 50% chance of getting it right no matter what happened. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you a true false test. I'm not going to give you a multiple choice test. I'm going to give you an essay test. I'm going to ask you 10 questions. There were 10 points each. And I will know in two seconds. 
I will know in two seconds if you have any idea what you're talking about. Half the time, I don't even read them. Full transparency. Because I don't need to. Because I can read the first two sentences and go, yep, absolutely. They were listening, and that's all I need to know. Or I can read them, try to blow smoke for four paragraphs, and I can give them a zero. You see, the thing is, the reason that school is so brilliant is because at the end of the day, no matter how you treat the class, no matter how you approach it, there is an assessment. There's an assessment. There's a, it's called a test. And in the Christian life, there's a test. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. In the Christian life, you can even come to church and appear, and appear that you're serving the Lord. You can appear that everything is well with you, but one day when God settles the accounts, to borrow words from a poet, he says, for all the saddest words of tongue or pen, the saddest words are these, it might have been. You see, the, the, the Lord comes and he observes, what did you do with what I gave you? That's the question. How did you serve me? How did you develop? I love this. How did you multiply? How did you give out what I gave to you and make more of that? Boy, it sounds like discipleship to me, doesn't it, you? What have we done with what he gave us? A reckoning of accounts. Folks, there's a day where every decision we made, whether bad or good, is going, uh, as far as it relates to our service to God, is going to be evaluated. And you know what? We get to do this on an earthly level. I'm thinking back to uh, the story of Ron Wayne, which is one of, my, one, of, one of the most bizarre stories that I have ever encountered. Ron Wayne was, the, was one of three investors of the original Apple Corporation. Most everybody's heard of Steve Jobs, and most everybody's heard of Steve Wozniak. They were two. There's three. There were three investors in Apple in the 1970s. In April of 1976, Wayne, who was the co-founder, third co-founder of Apple, sold 10% of Apple Computer for $800. Apple right now has a billion dollars cash. At the time that I read the article, which is probably dated by now, that 10% stake would be worth $73.3 billion. And just about 50 years ago, he sold it for $800. That has to be the worst investment decision in the history of mankind. Amen. But hang on, hang on. It's no worse than being a Christian and thinking mistakenly that my life is about the amount of money that I've gotten a 401k or that my life is about the academic pursuits that I follow or that my life is about the business development that I succeed at in the office or that my, my life is about the rank I've got, the name, the corner office, the celebrity status, whatever it is, it's a mistake, it's a terrible investment. We're talking about taking the talents that we've been given and investing them eternally investing them in things that multiply and will last forever. There is a reckoning of accounts, and finally, there is a recognition of accomplishments. And, and I want you to see this. He, here's what he says. He says to him, he says in verse number uh, 20, 20, so the one that received five talents came and brought five other talents. Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more beside. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many 
things, and there's a lot to be said here. I, I want to make two simple applications and move on, but there is a sense in which uh, greater faithfulness in smaller opportunities allows you, allots you greater opportunities in future and bigger responsibilities here. But I think as MacArthur said, and I agree, there's also indication that there is millennial service, there's heavenly service, there are greater responsibilities in those realms as well, and it all is dependent upon what we do with what we have right here and now. I wonder, what thing even here and now could we miss out on? Because we're not properly investing our talents. I could look at my life at 44 and think to myself, well, I wonder, I wonder where I could be today as far as influence for the kingdom had I invested ABCD properly. And I look at all the young people in the room, the young couples in the room, and this place is just peppered all over it with people in their 20s and below. And I think to myself, I sure hope and pray that every kid, every teenager, every young adult in our church grabs a hold of this right now. Where might you be just here and now if you'll steward and invest what you have properly? But then there's the sad thing. The sad is the one guy, the one man who does not take and develop the one talent that he had. And let's look at this guy for just a minute as we bring this to a conclusion. He says in chapter 25 and verse number 24, then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered him, watch this, and said, not good and faithful servant, but rather wicked and lazy servant. The exact opposite. Wow. You know what's sad about this? These people appeared in the same group until the judgment. You know, it's sad to say that weed and tear grow together. And they're not always promised to be sorted out until it's all over. This man was in the visible kingdom the church, and did not know the Lord. He did not do what he did not do because he didn't know the Lord. Think about it. Look how he talked to the Lord. You're a, you're, a, you're a mean, austere man, and this is how you treat people. Folks, he didn't know God. He wouldn't have known God from the, from the Easter bunny. He had no idea who God was. And therefore, he responded. He didn't have the Holy Spirit in his life to have the understanding of who God was. And therefore, because of that, he had no spirit-empowered works of service, leaving him completely barren and unfruitful when it's all said and done. And folks, i got to tell you, there ought to be something in us that stirs and makes us think about our own personal relationship with God as it relates to this text. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did not we cast out demons and do these mighty works? Then I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. There could not be a sadder place to be than be someone who appears to be a Christian, appears to be in the kingdom, and yet has no relationship with God personally. And that's the story of the man with one talent. Folks, listen. Today, the real point is this. Number one, what am I doing with what I have? When you think of at least three things, your, your time, your money, 
and your spiritual gifts. What are you doing with those three things right now for the kingdom? Let's make sure that we are investing what we have been entrusted with. And number two, I would say if you are here today and you do not genuinely know Christ as Savior, maybe you just go to church, maybe you just have been attending this church, today I would invite you to trust in Jesus Christ, hear his call, and believe on him as personal Lord and Savior. Let's pray together if we could.